Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. And as we come in today into the book of Esther, if you will, I want you to imagine yourselves. You are coming into the front page news. You are coming into current events 2,500 years later. All right? It's as if you're taking whatever your news source is. If you're under the old school, you've got the Medford Tribune in front of you. If you're old school, you're watching the 6 o'clock news. If you're new school, you're, you're seeking out information within the internet to find out what's going on. This is new 2,500 years ago. And it's important that you think of it in those ways. Otherwise, you're going to get trapped. The thinking that uh, this is somewhere between mythology old history, and unnecessary. And you have to understand that when this is unpacked in the moment in time that Esther chapter 3 is given, this unraveled the entire empire. And as, as we saw it, the same fears that you might have had at any great event, as COVID, for some of you, was unpacked a year ago, and the fear that that brought in. For some of you who are older, the moment that the Twin Towers fell, what did that mean for America? So you're watching current events as it unpacked then. And if you will, I'd like you to come with me to Esther chapter 3 by way of your own Bibles this morning. <clears throat> and as we see it, we're going to be reminded afresh that as we, we see the, the story of the, of the adopted queen, Esther herself, the real big item of news, the, the, the thing that you and I need to take in, is that God, who is unseen, is still active and working and dynamic. He ultimately is the unseen king. And you and I forget that the unseen king was still king the very first Sunday that we couldn't worship in Jesus' name. He's still the unseen king when the trade towers fell. He is still the unseen king when in the doctor's office you're told that you have a potentially home-going illness. He is still the unseen king when your home is going through tragedy and you're desperate for some sort of news that encourages you. And so unless you wrap your head around the reality of the unseen king, you miss out on whatever you're experiencing and whatever you're going through. And so, if you will, join with me. Uh, 
This verse, or this chapter is rather short, 15 verses. We'll not read all of them this morning. Uh, and if I can, and my memory's working, uh, I, will, I will guide you through as we read together. We're going to start in verse 1. After these things, King Asuerus promoted Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed before or bowed down and paid homage to Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Skip to verse 7. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Asuerus, they cast purr, that is, they cast lots before Haman day after day. And they cast it month after month till the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Asuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. Skipping to verse 15. The couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. And the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. Family, as we, as we begin, let's set the scene. Let, let, let's talk about a reality. Often when you read the stories in the Bible, you read of great men or great women. You read of women like Sarah. You read of men like King David, a man after God's own heart. A woman who was faithful to her husband in, in hardship. But even when we read of great men and women, you read uh, character flaws. Isn't that fair? So, as we come to the person of Mordecai, we need to be honest here this morning. Most likely Mordecai is not of King David quality. He's mostly not of Daniel or Jeremiah or any of the great men that you would put into your pantheon of godliness, women that you would put in the very heights of godliness. He is a normal Joe. Or if I was Australian, he'd be a normal bloke. And so he's got his good and he's got his bad. And as we begin the story, it's important that you, you keep him right down here with the normal. And so as we begin the journey, I want you to notice one of the, the core teachings that we're going to see this morning is there's not enough room for two big heads. We're dealing with an immense amount of pride here. The egos of both Mordecai and the ego of Haman. And it's important that we look at their lives quickly. Uh, they have some identity given 
But there's some real struggle with how that lineage that's there gives us clues to the, to the, to the brewing or the fighting of their egos. And this morning, because they're two, and they both have some delightful application, I'm going to give them both to you so you can look down and go, I like this one better than this one. All right? That's what we have the privilege to do often as pastors before we ever communicate to you. And sometimes when we communicate, you think, oh, that's the only answer. No, there's a lot of good answers. So we're going to give you two of them this morning and allow you to choose for yourself. So let me, let me begin. Mordecai is described in chapter 2. Notice how he's described. He is the son of Jair, son of Shammai, son of Kish, a Benjamite. This would make him a direct descendant of King Saul. Haman is described here in chapter 3 as the Agagite, son of Hamadatha. Agagite being our key concept here. Now, I've tried to lay it out in a, in a chart. Understand, the yellow, the explosion, is now Mordecai, big head number one, and Haman, big head number two. And they are, they are now going to be at loggerheads. If theory one is true, I want you to walk through what we can see. God tells Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12, I will bless those who bless you, and I will, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. To Esau, thinking that he was blessing Esau, instead he was blessing his son Jacob. He says, cursed be everyone who curses you and blesses everyone who blesses you. Esau is also in a direct line with Haman. Let me go on. Notice, if you will, Mordecai, son of Shammai, son of Kish. In between Shammai and Kish is Saul. Saul is responsible for judging or carrying out the judgment of God on the tribe or the people of the Amalekites in 1 Samuel. God tells him, kill them all. He leaves one individual alive, King Agag, of which Samuel kills him a few days later. Family, we have no other heritage, no other point in time where the Amalekites or an Agagite shows up in history, either biblical history or known history. But here his name and his title shows up with Haman. And if in some way King Saul had not done what he was supposed to do, and there is a remnant alive, you have these two groups of people, these two heritages now in collision course with one another. And that is a legitimate solution. It just lacks this identity. But you and I believe biblical language. We don't believe history because often history, somewhat evolutionary, can be discovered in time. 
Agag is a word that is identified with Gog and Magog in Ezekiel chapters 37 and 38. And this could be a foretelling of what will happen in the future as king of the north, Gog, as identified in Scripture, attacks Israel and Israel overcomes him. Both of these are allowed. Both of these would be founded on the promise to Abraham that he'll take care of, that God will take care of the nation. And it should be an encouragement to the people of the time. But we now see these clues that simply put, God's enemies are now in contest with God's people. And yet, we believe that it comes to fruition because of the arrogance of Mordecai. Mordecai's stubborn pride has nothing to do with his Jewish nationality. When we try to understand or unpack why he behaved in such a way, please understand there is no legitimate reason. 1 Samuel is even very clear. It's not a problem for a Jew to bow down to another individual. Chapter 24 of 1 Samuel, verse 8, says it this way. Afterwards, David also arose and went to, the, to a cave and called after Saul, my lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. So David, who is the future crowned king, bows to the present king of Israel. There is not a problem there. This is not idol worship to a Jewish man, as you will read some explanations. This is not anything more than the ego of Mordecai failing to bow down and not do what's right. And in the end, he risks destroying the nation of Israel. His behavior brought the entire Jewish race into grave danger. So I want you to see, ultimately, this argument is two egos that are struggling. I want you to notice as we, we continue to unpack the chapter, there's a gambling over Jewish lives. So as, as we saw a moment ago, beginning in verse 7, uh, Hapen turns his hatred for Mordecai into anti-Semitism and with it into annihilation. And he does so through the use of casting lots. Family, the Persians thought that they could unpack the entire year by throwing a set of dice that could be read and you could determine what day's best to do other things. And so, if you will, as you see the text of Scripture, for our purposes, January 1st, Haman's sitting down with his, with his dice and his counselors, and he's saying, okay, let's, what do we do on that day? What do we do on this day? Day by day, month by month. He's packing out his entire year. All right? And in fairness, it would go like this. Oh, February 7th? Great day to visit mom. 
Oh, April 19th, we'll start building. Xerxes and, and I will begin construction on the palace at Polypolis. He continues on, and he runs now to December. Oh, annihilate the Jews. Perfect day. And all he's doing is filling out his calendar and asking the gods and the stars for permission. You bless what I'm about to do. And so he now comes and he finds the best day according to the gods and the stars that fate has determined to be the most successful day to kill, to annihilate the entire Jewish population. So he's the one who sets in motion this chain of events, and he does so by simply asking the stars, the gods, what's the most successful day for me to annihilate all Israel. And we now see this taking advantage. He takes the information to the king in a rather offensive manner. I want you to notice he hated the Jews. But his racism and his prejudice erase human beings to mere certain people. He dismisses the Jews, their culture, their population, and their impact. He dehumanizes the scattered Jewish people. Not unlike Hitler, it became his mission to destroy the Israelites. And he unloads any decision that the king might offer by being willing to pay the amount of 10,000 talents, approximately 204 tons of silver, to a bribe that would amount to $112 million. And so we see that the king quickly writes it off. I don't care. That sounds good to me. I'll take your silver. You do it anything you want with the people. This certain group of people, just kill them. Doesn't bother me at all. And I want you to see then verse 15. These last three verses, 12 through 15, we simply call it happy hour in mayhem. The chapter closes with two men leisurely drinking wine while the Persian post office is delivering the information about the Jewish annihilation. Haman could plan the destruction of the Jewish people, then run off as if he did nothing of significance and enjoy a glass of wine with the king. The king only cared about wine. And family, if you've been, if you've been watching and you've been studying along with us, King Xerxes, or Asuerus in Scripture here, has got to be a rather simple man. Chapter 1, let me parade my wife. She doesn't come. And in panic, he says, what do I do? He's not even in on the, on the answer. You take care of the decision. Give me another glass of wine. He comes to chapter 2. Man, I'm lonely. What do I do? Oh, you need some more in your harem. We'll have a beauty contest. The winner will be your new king. Oh, that sounds good. I'll be waiting in the bedroom. We come to chapter 3. Hey, king, don't bother yourself. Don't, don't bother yourself. I've got this. These people, they don't respect you anyway. I'll pay 
you'll be fine, I'll take care of it. Oh, really? That's good. Give me another glass of wine. You get the idea of a guy who's not necessarily involved with a lot of things that are going on in the world today, in his moment in time. So after giving you a quick summation here, what are we going to walk away with as we read the newspaper this morning? Let's see some spiritual lessons in, the, in God's absence. As we explained that God wasn't around, but I want to remind you this morning, the first thing you need to do is expect God to be involved. You see, you and I just took time to walk you through the little teeny note at the end of Mordecai. Hey, this is my family. Let me tell you about him. He's the son of Jair. He's the son of Shammai. He's the son of Kish. Oh, by the way, he's the son of Abraham. And I've already promised my care to my people. Oh, that Haman guy? He's the son of Adar. He's, he's Agag. Now, we are not sure which Agag he's talking about, but I've got a little reminder to you this morning. God beats them up both. So right in the clues, we have the reminder that God always loves and cares for His people. Let me remind you today by Jeremiah, though it said throughout the Bible, His love for us. That simple reminder, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So he says in Jeremiah chapter five, or 17, verses 5-8, through eight, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart turns away from the Lord. Let's pause. Do you ever put more stock in the physician than the great physician? Do you ever put, do you ever put more stock in your financial planner than the one who owns your finances? Do you ever put your greater stock in American might, in American freedom, in American privilege, than that you do the one who allowed America to come into existence in the first place? The Bible reminds us that we're cursed if we start with that poor thinking. He goes on to say, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Whose, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. So family, God expresses the promise of interacting with the plight of mankind. So expect Him to work individually in your life. One of the great doctrinal truths that, that we can study about and we utilize is the idea of the imminence of God. Now, it's a wonderful world, and the next time you're out with a bunch of Christians at breakfast, just pull out the word imminent. All right? They'll be really impressed with your godliness.
all it means is God is close by. God's near. All right? But if you said that, that doesn't impress them like imminent. He's always near me. He's close. And so family, never forget that we trust the great physician. That we trust the ultimate financial planner. And that we trust the one who gave the nation of America the right to exist. Never forget ever, ever, ever that God is always involved. He may not be seen, but He's always active. Family, let me remind you, secondly, you're here for more. You're here for more. King Artaxerxes, he didn't think too deep. Just give me another glass of wine. I, I, I don't want to get involved. I, 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 that's not for me. That, that's, that's too deep. That, that's above my pay grade. Family, one of the great signs of the last days, the Bible says in, in Matthew, that we, that we will be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. The Bible compares it until the last days of Noah as he entered the ark, so will the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, pe people are just going to simply say, you know, I got enough going on. My, 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 my family's going to be in a celebration. I, you know, I, I don't want to worry about that. I don't want to get involved. I've got... I've got camping to go on. I've got a trip to take. I, I, I've got this fun to be involved in. And simply put, desire more out of life. You see, family, we're eternal. We're not birth-to-death people. We're redeemed-to-eternity people. And there's going to come a day that we pass through a moment that we hear the wonderful compliment of a Savior who says, well done. Good job. You, you, you stayed in it. You, you, you trusted me. You, you took the gifts that I gave you, the, the, the spouse that, that I connected you with, and you maximized everything that I made available to you. You, you did it. Boy, I'm proud of you. I... I Job well done. Job well done. So family, whatever that is, please remember your purpose. The Bible tells us that you were given a gift to aid the church. You were given a spouse to develop a relationship with as if you were in connection with Jesus Christ Himself. You were given everything that we have in life, from children to finances. These are not ours, but we are stewards to them. 
And could I leave you with the simple quote of, of John Piper when he says this, Desire that your life count for something great. Long for your life to have eternal significance. Want this. Don't coast through life without a passion. And allow that passion to be the privilege of serving the Savior Jesus Christ who brought you and gave you significance. Springing out of this is a third lesson. Treat humans as humans. You see, if we're all created in the image of God, then we all have value. And we live in a time that's doing everything it can to polarize an individual, to make a, a, an individual, no matter, no matter what flag they fly, we're doing everything we can to dehumanize and minimize people. Let's make it on a personal level. Do you have a face implanted on your dartboard? Is there an ex-spouse there? A pastor? Some church leader that offended you? A boss, a coach, a parent? Family, put selfishness aside and seek how you can be a part of their lives with the love of Jesus Christ by first loving them. You see, we, we live in a, in, in a time right now that we want to we divide up. We want to make everybody else but our group insignificant. We want to leave them nameless, leave them impersonal, men and women devoid of life experience. It is easy to turn a group of individuals into certain people and dehumanize and make them insignificant. But that's not who you and I are. Scripture tells us this. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Family, Jesus Christ loved people that others rejected. Even people who rejected Him. That's how God loves. And that's how Christ gave His example for us. When we cut off others who are against us, who don't like us, who are politically uh, detached from us, we cut off the chance of sharing the good news that could change our very lives. And how many of us, if you will, started among the certain people? Make people significant. Let's, lastly, God uses imperfect followers. Family, Mordecai was not a super believer 
on the par with anyone that we hold as Old Testament heroes. So I think he becomes the perfect example for most of us. We give God the right now version of us. Let's be fair, life is messy. You might, as we prepare for the communion message today, as, as we prepare for our time in communion, look down and go, wow, I am so far away from where I should be. And you know what it takes to enjoy communion? The bowing of the head and surrendering who you are and reminding yourself, Lord, man, I got a big ego. I got as big a head as Mordecai did. Please forgive me. And he's faithful and just to forgive. And then we have a chance to just simply start all over and give him the right now version of us. We didn't have to fix up, clean up. We don't have to wait until we have a few months of validation. We just simply begin to give Him the right now version of who we are and let Him take care of how we're used. There's times when we don't know what to say, when to say it, or how to engage. Family, we're redeemed sinners. We still, are, we still are on this journey. The world is broken, but God's at work. In the gospel story, His grace and His love shined more beautifully when you just offer Him the person you are right now. So family... Don't we have some incredible moments in Scripture? Think with me of Peter. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And yet, he was the first guy to arrive at the empty tomb. And then 50 days later, open his mouth, having been filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and lead the very beginning of our ancestors in Jesus Christ. Paul comes out and says, I'll kill them all. I'll kill them all. And God says, wait, whoa, 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 time out. You know, you're not touching my people. And blinds him. And just like that story that you and I have heard over and over again, haven't you? Oh, he'll never accept Jesus as his Savior. Oh, they'll never become Christ followers. The very one who said, I'll kill them all, is now the one who's wrote half of our New Testament. Be and offer the person you are to him now. Give him the right now version of you. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we prepare to walk into communion this morning. Dear God, may it be something that reminds us afresh 
that you didn't want us to clean up. You didn't want us to fix up, dear God. You didn't want us to, to, to bring to you version 2.0. Dear God, version 2.0 never helps, never impacts. Dear God, you just wanted us to accept all of Jesus. And so, dear God, we, we relish the privilege of taking the cup and the bread because we were reminded that ultimately we offer you nothing and you give us everything. We thank you. May we always see the unseen King. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.